This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie that we podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with Genevieve Kosky. Scott Tobias. And Tasha Robinson. On last week's episode, we discussed 1953's The War of the Worlds, an adaptation of the H.G. Wells classic produced by George Powell and directed by Byron Haskin. This week, we'll be talking about Nope, the latest film from Jordan Peele. Nope stars Daniel Kaluuya as Otis Jr., OJ for short, who inherits a horse farm specializing in film work after the death of his father, Otis Sr., played by Keith David. O.J. is not a people person, but his sister M, played by Kiki Palmer, is. But their business has seen better times, prompting O.J. to begin selling his horses to his neighbor Jupe, played by Stephen Yen, a child actor turned low-budget Old West theme park proprietor who suddenly seems to need all the horse flesh he can get his hands on. Does it have something to do with that cloud in the sky that never moves or other strange events? And would it be possible to capture some of those events on camera? Maybe with the help of Angel, played by Brandon Perea, an employee at a local electronics store, and cinematographer Antlers Holst, played by Michael Wincott. Nope arrived shrouded in secrecy, so we were kind of taking a leap of faith that it would connect with the War of the Worlds. But it's just as likely to someday serve as a document of this particular moment as its predecessor is of 1953. Peel fills the film with free-floating dread and sets the story on the fringes of show business, an industry that's damaged and discarded jupe and threatens to lose interest in OJ and M, as evidenced by an early scene in which a misbehaving horse gets replaced by an inanimate stand-in. Like Peele's previous horror movie, Us, Nope discards a sharp, direct satire of Get Out in favor of a fuzzier, but no less effective vision of a moment in which a looming disaster no longer comes as that much a surprise. And, if captured on film, it might even be beneficial, personally. Though Angel does at least suggest that their imminent confrontation with the hungry, saucer-shaped sky creature might help others too. We'll talk all this over, after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This would be an opportunity. I'm talking rich and famous for life. There's plenty of videos of flying shit online. Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The money shot. What's up? Undeniable proof of aliens on camera. The Oprah shot. So you guys gonna tell me what's going on? Hell no. no. I'm now here, and you're the only person in the world that can get it on film. That cloud, he moved an inch. It's aliens. They're just waiting for the perfect time to shove metal probes up our asses. I'll be rooting for you. I think we pissed them off. Yeah, they repainted your house. They're gonna come back. You ready? We got some work to do. Not it. Nope. I'll get him out. And I'll get the shot. Let's go, baby! Let's go! Alright, guys. Nope. Let's just talk about expectations. Like, I really didn't know what to expect from the film. And after a certain point, I like tried to know even, you know, as little as possible out of respect for the original <laughs> marketing of the film, which seemed want to, to reveal uh, absolutely nothing. I did spot a flying saucer, hence this episode. But, you know, I came to this with high expectations given Peel's previous films. And I, I did not walk away disappointed. I, I really enjoyed Nope. And it, 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 but it's also one of those things where like mid films, like what am I watching? What kind of story is being told here? It, it, it really, it's kind of a, I trust you to, to follow it along on a, on a fairly twisty path. Before we dive into this, like with that in mind, and, and especially with the just very carefully and well-calculated way you just presented that without getting into any plot details, I just want to say, like, if you like surprises in film, stop listening to this now, because Nope started up with the mystery so early on, you know, with sequences, unexpected sequences that are presented as mysteries that only unfold over time, that I, I feel like even talking about, you know, opening scenes, we're giving away things that people at least who enjoy surprises, who who don't need, you know, there there are people especially going into horror films who want to know what they're going to see and want to know how bad it's going to get. Um, there are people who are just more comfortable in that realm. And there are people who want their expectations set uh, like pretty clearly in terms of especially what genre is is this and like what what the tone is but if you're the kind of person that some of us are who really just like discovering a movie in the moment you really shouldn't be listening to this because there's there's just literally no way to talk about any of it without giving away things that i'm really glad i didn't know about going in so fair warning. So, so that's your spoiler we, we, warning. What do we, what do we try to get, get people to not listen to us? <laughs> so are you saying, yeah, Tasha? The we, we, I mean, the, the, the movie will have been out for two weeks yeah. by the time people are seeing this. So if, if you're listening to this without having seen Nope, I'm, I have some questions for you. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, people listen. People go see movies in their own time. I I was deeply astonished, given how much I loved uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, 
to discover just the percentage of people in my life who were waiting for it to be available on streaming. And then even after that happened, you know, two weeks after it hit streaming, uh, had to be told, by the way, that movie that so many people have been talking about is is waiting for you on streaming. And, and they were surprised. Like, we live in an industry where we see stuff early. So, you know. But this is a movie that you should absolutely not wait for streaming for. No. Oh, and, yeah. And, this on the big screen. So, so, so while, while we're giving disclaimers, don't do that. I will say, as uh, one of the, the groups uh, Tasha mentioned, that uh, likes to know certain things uh, going into some movies, and in my case, horror movies, I like to know how scary they are and if they are the particular strain of horror movie that I, I don't jibe with. I do generally like to know that uh, Go, going in, but I didn't going in here. And, um, you know, I, I, I will say, if, or if this is a spoiler for you, I guess spoiler alert, but it's not that scary of a horror film. There's, I, I feel like there's one sequence that legitimately like utilizes kind of traditional horror film vocabulary. And it was maybe the scene that got the biggest reaction out of out of my uh, uh, early screening crowd who were primarily like contest winners. It wasn't a, a, a critics screening. <laughs> it was a, an early public screening. And that sequence, which turns out to be kind of a fake out, uh, was I think probably the most sort of traditional horror scares in this film, which skews a lot more toward like just sci-fi yeah it, it, that that sequence got a pretty vocal response in our theater too yeah sorry we are talking about the scene in the stable with the yes. the jupes landing pranksters yes okay oh right <laughs> woof yeah that is pretty scary yeah. um but i mean I, I don't i mean that's the thing about this movie overall and, and, and it feels like this is a progression that peel's been making uh with through these through through film uh, three films um so far as they is it feels extremely liberated from uh you know it is i guess it is you know in the in the sci-fi horror you know genre but it, it has some really strong you know comedy in it uh and it just it, it, it's kind of a what's it of a movie in a really great way in the way in you know in the way it kind of gets at themes and the way it pre- presents information and you know it doesn't really even necessarily solve every single thing and has kind of a messiness beyond you know the conceit which is was something it had it hasn't come with up or us i should say all that was very exciting for me to watch it felt so expressive and and not processed i mean you just it, it, it's such like an oasis of a film in hollywood as we've come to understand it right in this era to see something that that's this restless and strange and in searching and you know stylistically you know exciting and i don't know i, I had a really good time with it and, and the more i kind of ruminate about about it the more um you know i i, I appreciate how accomplished you know in, in original it is i won't deny that it's original and accomplished but i am not feeling as rhapsodic about this hmm. as, as 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 you two are. I, I I was entertained by the film and I uh while, while watching it, um but I wasn't necessarily satisfied. And it is like tied up in that messiness you you mentioned, Scott. And I I'm willing to extend a certain amount of admiration to Peel for just like how much he is juggling thematically here. But I feel like 
if I was story mapping this, there would be like a Venn diagram of like five intersecting circles and they only intersect with a tiny sliver in the center. And that tiny sliver of the movie is like, when it does that, it works. But I feel like a lot of this movie just felt like scattered and it didn't cohere in a way that I found satisfying when the credits rolled. Now, I will say, as I left the movie and spent some time thinking about it and, you know, kind of unpacked it in my head, those feelings of admiration grew. And I, like, I, I could respect, again, just how much Peel is digging into with this movie. But it didn't come together in a moment of catharsis. Like, I, I think, you know, the big ending of this movie is kind of like a air going out of a balloon a little bit, you might say. Um, it, it, it does feel a little like it deflates at the end because I just don't, I didn't feel a strong enough thematic underpinning through this. Like there were lots of little kind of related underpinnings, but it just, it was a little messy to be satisfying in the moment while I can still recognize the craft that go in here. And, and I will say, as I said before, like this should be on the big screen. Visually, I have very, very little to complain about. Maybe we can get into the alien design a little bit, but <laughs> those would be like minor gripes at, at most. But yeah, I'm feeling a little more more mixed on this, which is, again, to go back to us, which I still haven't seen. Um, <laughs> I, I gather it was sort of... Uh, that one is the, more horror. That, that yeah, one, yeah. I, don't know, horror. I don't know if that films. one's for you. Yeah, 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 yeah it, exactly. That's more or less what, what, what I've heard. Uh, but, but we're all worried I, about you heard... thinking about seeing us, Randy. Just don't. Just don't. <laughs> but, but I did just gather from reading about the movie and listening to the podcast you guys did on it that it was, you know, a little more divisive. And I kind of feel like this also might end up being that. I, I think it's definitely going to be divisive. I mean, just from from the review that I edited versus uh, some of the other reviews out there, it's it's pretty clear to me that there's already a bit of a split. I'm with you, Genevieve. I think I'm further towards the positive end than you are. But the sprawl of it, the different directions that it goes in without necessarily committing to a bunch of those directions did leave me like sort of struggling at, at times to engage. And for me, maybe the biggest issue there is just the characters are not drawn with a whole lot of detail. Daniel Kaluuya is maybe if he was the only significant character here, you know, if it was a a kind of a man versus wild um, kind of kind of scenario, you know, if it, if it was an all is lost kind of scenario where his his taciturnity and his like refusal to to put like a, a visual response out into the world for the most part was a, an asset and a statement. I think he would he would carry the movie very well. There's just all of these like little moments where you get little hints at him. But when he's interacting with KK Palmer and and the other cast members, his lack of give uh, in this character, you know, we've seen him be a very expressive, very verbal character, including Get Out, where he he had a ton of charm. But here he's kind of playing like the Western folk hero. He's he's kind of playing the Shane character, man of very few words and very few emotions. And the Black Cowboy, a figure famously erased from Hollywood history, one of the film's many themes. <laughs> one of the film's many many things that it just kind of throws out there and um and just kind of like lets sit. 
This isn't a film about race to nearly the degree that that Get Out and Us are. Like, race is certainly present in it. But it just feels like one of a whole lot of ideas that, for me, would have been maybe more compelling if his character and Kiki Palmer's character in particular, who is kind of portrayed as this, like, hungry striver um, with a whole lot of like latent frustration and competitiveness and desire to prove herself in her life. But it, it kind of gets like thrown out really early on and then just doesn't come to much. I, I like that. It's just drifting in the background. Like a lot of stuff like that is just kind of drifting in the background. You know, it, it's, it's to like a cloud that never moves. <laughs> I, sure. <laughs> Let's just say yes. I agree with you, Tasha, about just the lack of interiority. The performances do a lot, maybe not Kaluuya, because as you say, that is just such a low-key, taciturn performance that you have to like read a lot into it. But Kiki Palmer uh, is one of the brightest spots of this movie. Like, and I think, you know, she's comedic. Obviously, like a lot of the comedic beats are hers, and she sells them. But also, like, uh, she has to sell the closing beat of this movie, where she sees her her brother uh, emerge from the dust, and like the camera holds on her for a really long time, and we see what she's seeing in her face before the camera shows it to us. And I think like that moment to me was more impressive than the the big tube man alien showdown. I liked a lot of the mechanics of the alien showdown stuff, though. I I like the cleverness of it. I like the way it's mm-hmm. executed. But then it ended like up the visual being just, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, but it ended up being very prolonged in a lot of ways that just kind of uh, like inflated and deflated the tension. (laughs) And given what happens in that stable scene you referenced earlier, and given how it, it builds up like a whole series, just bap, 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 one after another of horror movie jump scare fake outs. I feel like Peel is, is very specifically subverting uh, genres here, subverting Mm -hmm. horror, subverting sci-fi, subverting the creature feature monster movie. But at the same time, there there just comes a time when, like, after about the fifth subversion in a row, you I at least start to say, like, OK, let's let's go to the fireworks factory, at least like stop showing it to me on the horizon and, and reminding me that it's there if we're never going to go there. We get there. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't know. Awesome, I don't, we get a lot of we get a lot of awesome stuff before we get there, too. All the stuff, all the stuff, uh, you know, at the at the theme park. You know, I mean, that that I mean, it, 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 that's a very charismatic performance, too, by Stephen Yen. I mean, that, that that's he's terrific in this movie. And I, I find that excursion and then the excursion within the excursion of just uh, of this, these flashbacks to this television show that he was on uh, utterly surprising uh, you know and, and riveting and that that's kind of what compels me about the film is that you know as much as you might ding it for maybe not all coming together satisfactorily the places that it goes are so eccentric and like uh, and and compelling i mean it's just you know you just i mean to to go to go all the way back to you know the first feature film with an element of the movie to go to to visit this this strange western theme park you know to 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 be obsessed in the film the way the film is obsessed with film like actual movies you know and images and in the way that we kind of process disaster through 
literally through that lens, you know, through spectacle. I think that, again, these are really rich, interesting themes, you know, the film doesn't necessarily, isn't schematic about, you know, so I was relieved in that, in that sense. I mean, as much as I love Get Out, I mean, you know what Get Out's doing, you know, (laughs) Get Out is pretty, you know, I mean, there's something kind of straightforward about Get Out in the way that, that is not true of us and certainly isn't true of Nope. And and I kind of like that. I kind of like that Peel is starting with premises that have that kind of big hook to them, but you know, then then kind of jumps off into totally outrageous ideas and, and you know, and whether all of them work as well as they should and whether whether the whole thing feels a little bit ragged. I mean, I guess I, I, I get that, but I, I'm kind of willing to the, accept the trade off a little bit more, I think. I don't even know if the ragged is the right word. I, I, I just think that he's not going to go all the places you necessarily expect or, or, you know, there's no expect him to go. I, I interviewed Osgood Perkins for a publication called Vulture. Jenny, do you know it? In relation to his twi- the Twilight Zone episode, he, he directed for, for the Jordan Peele revival of that. And like, he's specifically referring to, uh, Perkins, by the way, has a brief role in, in this film as a director. He was specifically referring to Peele's introduction style. He took on, took on the Rod Serling role for that, for that series, but he referred to him as, ha- as, as having a Cheshire cat quality. And I think that's, the films have that too. Like they're just gonna not really, you know, the, this and us in particular is, is like they'll walk you up to the edge of, of explaining something to you, and 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 but then not. And I mean, I keep thinking about that shoe in the Gordy, yes. the Gordy set. Okay, I really need to talk about Gordy and the damn shoe because, like, <laughs> the like I I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. But the Gordy stuff in particular drove me a little crazy because it it was such a big part of the movie and so arresting, as you say, that for the payoff to be purely thematic and not narrative, unless I'm missing something, but I don't understand what the shoe was supposed to be telling us because it seemed to indicate some sort of like supernatural connection oh to, i don't think so but why was it sit, sitting at such an unnatural position i honestly think that that's just it's the kind of detail that you actually do see at the scene of an accident it's the kind of detail that stephen king would call out that would like make a horror scene memorable it's the the sheer wetness and i guess we should uh explain a little bit here just in terms of you know, framing what we're talking about, Stephen Yen's character, uh, Jupe, was on a TV show which was cut short when the the chimp, the trained chimp, the that was the kind of the main character, um, went amok and uh, attacked several people, and it's a, a traumatic. Uh, like a deeply traumatic part of his childhood that he's channeled forward in some extremely strange and idiosyncratic ways. Scott brought him up as an example of one of the things that the film does well. And I I totally agree. But we were talking about OGNM not having enough interiority. Jupe literally has interiority in that we go into his head and see what's going on there. And the contrast between what's going on inside and outside is a huge source of, of fascinating tension. But getting back to Gordy and the shoe, 
it's just the kind of detail that sticks with you in the moment of clarity that comes in the middle of a crisis. The dripping, glistening, wet quality of the blood on Gordy's paws and that just really unlikely way that the, the shoe landed are just images that are seared into his memory. And those are things that you get that stick with you out of a trauma. I That honestly felt very real the to me. The thing with the shoe is, though, it didn't land. It's kind of like positioned in a way that could not be positioned. Uh, it is you know, sticking straight up, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, but it was... Yeah, it was, yeah it, like it's a heel. Yeah, it, it, it's... And and that, that... I can't explain it either, but I, I think is is not... Gr- gravity would bring it down, I guess, is, 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 uh, is, is what we're saying. Especially with, like, so much movement, you know, and the chimp walking around it and stuff. Like, I... Like, I, I think I think I told you guys <laughs> as I got out of the... I said in Slack, like, I'm going to need someone to explain the Gordy thing to me before we record <laughs> so that I don't sound like an idiot. And then a little while later, I was like, okay, I think I figured out the Gordy thing. But what I needed explained to me was just entirely based on that shot of, of that shoe, because I really did feel, and I was not the only person who felt this way that, that I spoke to, like, it was indicating something extraordinary that had happened there. And it, that turned out not to be the case. And as you're t- talking about, Tasha, like as an sort of an illustration of Jupe's interiority, like, yes, it works and it connects in an interesting way to what we're seeing in the present day. But it just felt like I was being denied an answer. That <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like the first scene of the film set me up to want to know about like you you really get a really good look at that shoe right from the beginning in a way that like indicates that it means something and then we get it in his office you know or his little secret room uh in the back under under glass and it just felt like it was important to the story but it was just like totemic i guess i think this is the one this is what i want to get emails about um this yeah. is, this is <laughs> here comes the feedback i'm looking right, forward yes. i'm looking what, forward what to these theories what does the shoe mean i mean what's haven't the deal you, with the shoe haven't you ever i don't know flipped a coin and and like had it land on its edge or like <laughs> dropped something and you know been surprised that it it landed as it did like to me it's it's literally just i've never uh, had a coin land on its edge <laughs> <laughs> What, Tasha, are you saying I, that, I, did, I did take AP statistics in high school, though. I can tell you the probability of that happening is yeah, almost it, nil. It's, it's extremely, extremely low. But like you, I mean, if you drop a coin, it might land on its edge and, and roll around. And then, you know, it, it might end up. I just think it's a, an unlikely visual that has been burned into his head. I yeah. I, I think that a, a, a heavy souled uh, shoe. We we don't know what the shoe's made out of. I think you're reading it's too much of the shoe. It's a Ked. I have several pairs. They don't go like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're very flimsy and they fall over easily. Yeah, she would. <laughs> she would fall over. But you're saying? Are you saying that this is that this is like that because it is his memory? This is like something that is burned in his memory in that way. That, that this this particular detail it's... is standing out like like that because that is that is his pers- perspective and that is what has kind of stayed with him about this incident. Yes. I mean, I think that everything about that trauma and his his very, very near death stands out to him. And I think the shoe itches him the same same way it itches you. Like, I I think it's just a incredibly statistically unlikely coincidence that 
that bothers him and that still sticks with him. And as people do with trauma, he finds a way to channel it, which is by buying that shoe as memorabilia and like putting it in his office and, and making a little shrine for it almost because it's a way of controlling in a way the inevitable. And I think that's part of what this movie is about is when you're faced with the unfathomable, when you're faced with, uh, you know, a, a deadly threat that was unexpected, how do you bring it under your control? And I, I think that his whole side story is is kind of about that. I mean, in addition I, to the whole don't look uh, predators in the eyes because, you know, bad things happen and uh, stay away from balloons. They pop and uh, bad, bad things happen. Like there are there are a bunch of little thematic connections. But like, I think if you're looking for a big, significant uh, element to the shoe, it's it's just a memory that he's tried to control. Or it's also a one in a trillion event that takes place within another one in a trillion once in a lifetime event, you know, like it's also kind of reflective of the unusualness of the situation. Like I get it. I get the thematic significance of the shoe. My beef is more just how it is deployed in the film in a way that sets you up for a resolution it doesn't give. And like, that's fine. That's that's Peel's choice. And he he wants to begin his movie with zeroing in on this very like esoteric, uh, opaque symbol. Fine. I didn't like it. It bothered me. And if that makes me like basic or whatever, fine, I'll, I'll accept that. But I don't know. No, it, no. it, it, it's it's that shoe is going to be my memory <laughs> dramatic <laughs> totem of this movie the same way it is for Jupe's character. I, I, I don't like the shoe. I understand the shoe, but I don't care for it. Stuff was cool, <laughs> though. The whole the, but the, all this all that. That, that that's so chilling though the whole se- the whole scene that, that um you yeah know, it- i think if all that gordy stuff wasn't so compelling and arresting it wouldn't bother me as much you know like it's a really fascinating event like illustrated in a, a terrifying compelling way and i guess i i almost like resent that it's relegated to interior character motivation like i felt like it was it deserved to be a bigger part of this movie's story, not just its themes. In a way, it's I think it's this is emblematic of kind of one of the problems I, I have with the film. So I, I, I do want to say, Genevieve, I don't think you're basic. I do think <laughs> that you're precisely speaking my language because I'm usually the one on the podcast who's like, <laughs> yes, I intellectually understand what what this is going for. Yes, it, it adds up mathematically, but emotionally it does not work for me. And, and that's what I'm hearing you say. And it makes a lot of sense to me and how I so often react to films. So like that tracks but as far as a, the part that it plays in the film it seems to me that essentially what the like the little stack of blocks that that Jordan Peele is building here is this boy was traumatized by a predator in his youth therefore he tries to bring predators uh like under control he tries to make sense of his world by by controlling things therefore he has the shoe in his office therefore when he meets a giant space predator he starts feeding it and and trying to take control of it therefore the events of the movie happen and the fact that all of that is as you say just kind of like shunted off to the side and doesn't necessarily feel like a a key or clear part of the narrative until you start doing the interior math after the movie is over, for me, 
lessens the impact of it. Yes. Like it makes it into a really interesting intellectual challenge as you try to take all of the different parts that seem small or out of place or oddly shaped that he puts into the movie and add them up into what looks like a more conventional narrative. Mm -hmm. Like as you figure out why is this scene here? Oh, it's because it thematically or symbolically or visually relates to this. But he really makes you do the work. And to some degree, I respect that. But it doesn't necessarily leave me with the same visceral thrill as a, like a tight movie that's just moving on all cylinders and moving forward. Yes, but doesn't well but, but but doesn't that sort of itch? I mean, the fact that the, the fact that you do leave the theater and these images are kind of circling your head and you're trying to make sense of the film and maybe things are, do start to come together after you leave the film. Doesn't that give you that feeling like this film was ahead of me a little bit and maybe I'll catch up with it? You know, if I see this film again, maybe think maybe these elements will click into place a little bit more. I mean, there's something kind of just the the, the kind of just the experience of a film that is you know, feels a little untidy, a little unresolved, uh, you know, is, is going off in all these interesting little tangents. I mean, to me, that is a kind of an exciting experience. That's one of the big appeals to note for me. It's almost reflected visually, too. I mean, when you think about, like, the way the film sort of stabs into the sky with the camera work, you know, the, it, it feels quite quite literally searching in its way and, and not, not resolved and trying to find meaning. I mean, there's something kind of just not pre-digested about the movie and, and, and kind of intuitive and, and uh, that I found, you know, c compelling in its own, in its own right, even if it is, even if those pieces, you know, don't necessarily come. I mean, I can't solve this film. You know, I was like, I, I wrote a review of the film and absolutely, dreaded having to do it because i was just like what did i just what did what did i just witness here and i can kind of start to piece things together a little bit as i was writing but like i'm, I'm nowhere near kind of comprehending everything that, that this film is trying to do but you know that lack of comprehension you know and the suspicion that you know peel knows what he's doing uh yeah and the experience that i had with the film which was exciting in its own, in its own right i mean gave me confidence that, that what i was seeing was was something you know fairly special i feel like personally coming from my perspective i could argue a whole bunch more about like why why that intellectual here a bunch of as you say undigested or i would actually say unassembled pieces or or pieces you've got a whole bunch of things tacked up to the string board but he doesn't give you the strings you have to bring your own strings why that doesn't satisfy me in the same kind of way, it, basically because it's an intellectual experience rather than an emotional experience. But I want to move away from that, both because we've covered it a whole bunch and because for me, digging more and more and more and more into that would get away from the stuff that I really liked about the film, which mm -hmm. I, I personally feel like I haven't talked about enough. Uh, I think the visuals in this film are spectacular. I think that the closing set piece is just visually breathtaking i loved the alien design i loved the unpredictability but i loved the the very clear animalistic influences of it i love the way he uses michael wincott to kind of tip you such off a good to some of those such elements a good performance and character Ah, oh, Michael Wincott in this is great, and I feel bad calling him out over the black leads, but Michael Wincott is such a small character. You get, you know, just, just a little droplet of him doing something very specific and very intense and very fun, and, you know, he's he's allowed to be a non-interior character because he doesn't need to be. He's almost Werner Herzog uh, showing up in this film. 
in just a really cool way. But yeah, I, I don't want to undersell my response to a lot of these separate elements of the film. The the house sequence, terrifying and grotesque and incredibly well directed. The raining objects from the sky uh, sequence early on. And then the horror of eventually coming to see what that means. Really, really spectacular. So again, I just feel like this movie could be like the movie of the year, the top movie of the year for me, if all of these elements were placed together in a way where it felt like this movie had momentum, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a build-your-own-movie kit with like 50 extra pieces. Those chapters, I, I feel like the chapter titles were very unnecessary and, and also kind of killed momentum. Am I, am I alone there? Uh, not necessarily, yeah. It, 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 was, it was a choice that it felt a little arbitrary at, at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it necessarily felt like you needed to divide the film into those those sections. He was kind of searching I... for an organiza- organizational tool that... yeah. Didn't really work for him, but I guess. I, I kind of liked them in terms of uh, the the chilly tone that they added. But you're definitely not alone. Um, Robert Daniels, who wrote the review for us for for Polygon and who's been on the podcast, like hated those. So you're you're very not alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also like. I, I want to underline, like, there's a lot I really like about this film. I, I, and like I said, I was entertained watching this film. I wasn't satisfied by it. it. It didn't give me catharsis, you know, for a movie that's so much about spectacle, you know, like that is one of its its main concerns is like how we as humans are obsessed with, with spectacle and can be distracted by it or, you know, in, endangered by it even, you know, like that's an interesting and an important theme. But I didn't feel it in the film because it doesn't click together in a satisfying way. And that's okay. Like, like everything you said, Scott, like that's okay. But if we're talking about movies and stories ability to provide catharsis and to create spectacle and to give you an emotional reaction to, to something like making it the sort of intellectual exercise, build your own movie, find your own connections thing takes away from that. I mean, this is Jordan Peele's approach. Mm-hmm. Like, there were parts of Get Out that had me and my husband clinging to each other in the theater, like like scared 12-year-olds seeing our first horror movie. And there were parts, uh, particularly the parts with uh, Lil Ray Howery, the comedy parts, where I was like, what is this movie doing? Because the, the pacing was not what I was used to. And I, I just think that Jordan Peele has... A different sense of of pacing and rhythm than like the the very standard Hollywood horror movie like language that we've come to expect, and so like it lands a little bit oddly for those of us that see a lot of these movies. And I don't I don't think that that's a problem. I think by the the, the time of this movie, it's just very clear that like his language, his pacing, his intention is different, and you have to either be on board with that language or not. Well, there's a lot to talk about here, obviously. Uh, and I think, <laughs> we have barely scratched the surface and we're like 40 minutes into this episode. <laughs> but I think, I think we, 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 we do want to bring in the other film we're talking about, which is The War of the World. So why don't we take a break and we'll be right back after that to talk about The Connections.
now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. I'm going to start with just the reaction that these characters have to the aliens, the characters in each film have the aliens, which is really not running in terror, which is probably the, the, the ideal reaction to this, but, but the sort of like, let's go up and touch this meteor that may not be a meteor that may actually, you know, why don't we wave a white flag once we figure out that it's, it's aliens and the war of the worlds too. I don't know. Let's not tell let's anyone. Let's wang it with a it. shovel. <laughs> it's like, so, <laughs> and, and like, well, you know, here is uh, extraterrestrial life. Top priority is getting it on film. These are uh, interesting choices. What, 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 did you, what did you make of them? I mean, in both cases, one of the first uh, impulses is how can we profit from this, which mm -hmm. I, I think is really apropos to humanity. You know, bo both of them are just kind of like, how how can I get rich and famous off of this? And the fact that these movies are so far apart in time and have that so clearly delineated in both cases, I think is just really telling about how little humanity has changed while human society has changed so much. I thought it was interesting that Nope uh, referenced the recently declassified video of Navy pilots encountering, what is it, uh, unexplained aerial phenomenon? Is that what they call it now? I the believe UAP? so, yeah. Yeah, like, I think they even referenced that initialism in, in Nope, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, these characters exist in a reality where they are already accepting of, you know, there being UAVs slash aliens already here to some extent, already here and thus far not really endangering humanity. Obviously, this particular alien is kind of terrorizing this area, but as we learn, it is also kind of being baited by Jupe, you know? So their reaction is less like, fear for their own safety and becomes how can we benefit from this, which is, I think, a very modern uh, <laughs> a mindset to give your characters. Whereas in War of the Worlds, like it becomes apparent pretty quickly that this is an invasion with strategy behind it. And this is a battle like that becomes clear within like the first day, essentially. So they, you know, humanity is in a defensive position. And nope, humanity is more observers, you know, we're, we're observers of wildlife, more, more or less. And, and also like the nature of the aliens is in, important to, to bring in here too. you know, like the alien in nope is essentially equated with a wild animal whose, you know, territory is being threatened and reacting as animals do. Um, yeah, that, that's the fast. That's kind of fascinating because I mean, it's it is like, I mean, the question of what what do they want with us? <laughs> um, I mean, is made clear immediately in the War of the Worlds. It's in the it's in the narration. We know where they're from. We know we know why they're coming to to Earth. I mean, all all of that is super clear. What and they have a plan, and that plan is very thought through and well executed except for the whole environment thing. <laughs> um, uh, but then, but it, it's still kind of a mystery with Nope about where, where they, where they, I mean, we never know really where they, yeah. where they come from and, and what, mm -hmm. what they want. Uh, I, I mean, either you, you say that you compare them to, you know, a wild animal. And I think, I think, I think the, de the design of this, you know, f a flying object slash, you know, uh, a creature, you know, bears that out, but it's like, how did this happen? <laughs> how, how did the, how did it come yeah, to, uh, to occupy occupy yeah. the space? And well, you know, I mean, it, and uh, 
yeah, none of, none of that stuff is anything that the film is all that interested in answering. Like so much, but I mean, but I, I do think the animal thing is 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 a key difference. Like this seems to be like some sort of coyote that's kind of, kind of wandered too far into into yeah. the wrong territory or the right territory at least for a while on Earth. Yeah, I, I like I like to think that it like got lost from its pack and it was just trying to sur- <laughs> survive on a diet of horses <laughs> until or, uh, until we, humans interfered. Horses are the Reese's pieces of its. <laughs> oh wow! World, yeah, I they, guess, they right? re- literally yeah. just kind of like leave a little trail delicious, of horses for it, huh? Delicious yeah. horses, and and, and uh, humans are fine too, except they have oh, all. Why didn't we pair this with ET guys? All the stuff they got oh, all the God. stuff on. They got all the stuff that that is unnecessary. On them that they have to kind of kick back. Yeah. But, uh, I like that, uh, you know, and I guess there's that signs element too in terms of, uh, you know, the vulnerability part of these these aliens as well. I mean, with it, signs becomes is absurd because it's like, oh, yeah, they come to this planet that's mostly water. <laughs> And that's their that's what they're vulnerable to. It's probably not 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 really good planet selection on that one. But um, uh, here it's here here it's what junk <laughs> that is. They, they don't they don't do well processing uh, trash. I mean, I think it's anything like not biological right. uh, or not flags. Food, like, you know, like I carnival mean, flags. Yeah, exactly. We get caught in your gullet. You know. Yeah. Um, and to go back to the design of this alien, like it is not remotely humanoid and the aliens and the very small glimpses we get of the aliens in war of the worlds they are vaguely humanoid like they have hands you know and are sort of upright so like it's much easier to put human motivations onto them and that's what we see the characters doing you know and it immediately becomes a a war, you know, because that's what humans do. We invade and conquer and fight and kill each other. And the alien in Nope is not even remotely that, you know, and so it becomes even, it's it's scarier in a way because you don't really know its motivations and it's OJ who figures it out because he is, has such a close relationship to animals to begin with. Yeah, that's, that was to me, like that you know, we knew so little about this going in, but the idea that the alien would would be a wild animal, and then like the last act is very heavily inspired by by Jaws, where you kind of had this motley crew of disparate people, each who who mm-hmm. brings something different to the team, trying to contain uh, this wild animal. It, it is, um, you know, that that to me is is for, for all the. You know the references and 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 the inspirations on display here. That there's a, to me that that's a unique element to this film. Yeah, and it's also like Jaws sort of, sort of ends up being this sort of jury rigged solution to fighting back as well. I mean, it, it, War of the Worlds. What they're I mean they're trying to use you know human weapons, right? I mean that's about as good as they can can do and and what there's the use of tr- there's the attempted use of of um you know a, a, science a, yeah <laughs> science and atomic em- energy and that mm-hmm. sort of thing but like um but here it's but that's the other difference too is like these are is the scale of the thing i mean that this is just so limited to this very you know nope it's so limited to this you know w- one isolated ship creature you know in this particular kind of rural you know, Southern California area and, and war of the worlds. It's a, it's a, it's a planned global attack. Uh, so they're, they're quite different in that way too. 
Yeah, there's a universality to the way War of the Worlds handles alien destruction. Just like all cities are falling, all people are being displaced, um, everybody is being kind of brought down to the same level. Whereas with Nope, we're dealing with a completely isolated situation, and it's isolated of the character's own making. Like one of the things we didn't really touch on in in part one of this conversation is the degree to which their desire to get famous uh, and potentially rich out of this, each for their own reasons and, and in their own ways, causes them to like create a situ- situation of isolation where the, they're could be help for their situation there there could be ways that all of this could be dealt with but they deliberately choose to conceal it because they're trying to to profit off of it and you know bad things happen as a result and i like that that in and of itself just like the difference between a huge collaboration of of all of the minds that humanity has to offer versus a few scrappy very creative people coming up with with very creative solutions but also kind of bringing it on themselves by deciding they're going to be the ones that deal with it because they're the ones that want to make the profit out of it. Uh, It's just a very different approach. I want to kind of edge sideways into a a related uh, connection that I suggested, um, which is that these are both isolated invasions in, in kind of different ways. Tasha, you just explained how it is in Nope. And, you know, on the surface, War of the Worlds is quote-unquote worldwide but in practice just the practicality of the way the film is made like we are really locked into dr clayton forrester and sylvia dr sylvia i didn't catch her full name um uh, but we're really sylvia, like locked sylvia in. Is, of course it's sylvia van buren oh of course what, what, what was i thinking but we're really like locked into their experience and in, in, in the american experience you know we in the only real glimpses of what we get of what's happening worldwide is through newsreel footage taken from uh, World War II, uh, newsreel footage, as I as I understand it, or stock footage. So even though it's a this massive worldwide event, we're only seeing this very small sliver of it. And that's just like the design of the movie um, in, in how movies were made. But, you know, um, it, it is, I guess, notable, especially when compared to like later sort of blockbuster scale worldwide uh, alien invasion movies like, say, uh, Independence Day, you know, which is a lot more sprawling in terms of its both its locale and its characters that we follow. So you get like different experiences of the invasion, whereas here we're, we're pretty much just getting this this small group of people and to a lesser extent, the city of Los Angeles's experience. That tight focus thing they have in common, and I know we were discussing before that Peel has, has cited uh, signs uh, in my Shyamalan's uh, sh- signs as an influence too, and it, it is a very, mm-hmm. you know, the tightness of the focus, you know, in this case, as far as we know, this is an isolated incident, uh, what's happen- what happens in Nope, but I, th- I think it can be really quite effective rather than trying to capture, I mean, I like all those movies better than Independence Day. And I think in part because you, because of the tight focus, like I, I you know, the, the War of the Worlds characters aren't the richest characters, but they're still our, our, our people, our, our windows through. And, and I, uh, I, I, the Nope characters, I think really make for uh, fine, fine tour guides to this, this strange phenomenon. 
It's kind of interesting to me that he cites signs as an inspiration when War of the Worlds is such a religious film in a way, as we noted earlier, Mm -hmm. and signs also a very religious film, you know, also very much of the the aliens were defeated through godly intervention and godly design in our lives. And then we have Nope apparently like heavily influenced by or or modeled after or or thinking about signs feels like a much more atheistic movie, you know, a much more humanocentric, like we're going to find our own solutions and and make our own way through the world uh, without asking for intervention from any kind of higher power kind of story. And I think also in terms of Nope, I mean, it is, it is true to all these characters experiences as being kind of, outcasts from from show business or or on the fringes of it i guess angel probably has the the least you know the most tenuous connection but he's still a, an expert in in electronics and and film you know film equipment whereas in war of the worlds it is definitely a small part of a global effort to resist this this invasion i find a kind of interesting um element of nope is that is the idea of um how we might as individuals react to um, an invasion like this or phenomenon like this. And because it's such a, such a modern thing to to want to make sure that we capture it on film for the world to see and that there's, and there's some sort of a reward in, in doing that. It, it, you know, it seems like we're just going to like, it feels like we would kind of like TikTok ourselves to oblivion on this, on this kind of thing have actually occurred. And uh, I, I think that's, that, that, you know, that, that's kind of a, it was sort of a, st- a standout element of Nope to me. And just to have some, an image like, you know, this TMZ photographer on a motorcycle with that like mirrored helmet, it's just such an odd uh, yet, you know, weirdly apropos image of how we might kind of respond to something like this. Yeah, but at the same time, we can't TikTok ourselves to death on it because the alien shuts down phones and <laughs> shuts down electronics and shuts down broadcast, which I think is a very, very necessary element, which is kind of borrowed from War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of sat up a little watching War yeah, of the Worlds when we two, got to yeah, yeah, shuts you... down the lights, shuts down people's watches, mm-hmm. shuts down people's you know ubiquitous pocket compasses, which of course we all have. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, oh we God, do have them on it. our phones. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> everyone's got everyone has a pocket compass i love it but yeah i did have a moment of okay the most implausible thing in this movie is that that it wouldn't get out of jupiter's little wild west show you know you come come over here and see a real alien and then i realized how how picks or it didn't happen we've become as a culture sure. And it's like, okay, nobody has the capacity to to take a picture of this in any way. Probably a lot of these people did go home and like put it on social media that they saw an alien or whatever and just were immediately dismissed. Or who knows? Maybe there's like a worldwide crisis going on just outside the parameters of this story. But because we're so insular and, and focused on these characters in this moment, we have no idea what's going on out there. Were, were you not moved by the fact that, that, the, that the way to capture these things is, is- through beautiful 65 millimeter film <laughs> uh i hand cranked no less i i i was uh touched by that and, and that is the format on which well i don't know about the hand cranked part but that is the format on which nope was shot so so uh film uh, a lot of value to film i think that that is that is uh you know that is nope implies so i i, I feel it for that 
I well, honestly was more touched by M and OJ's just little moment where they realized that Michael Wincott's character had brought a hand cranked camera and yeah. they, they do their little hand slap thing. And it's like <laughs> such a an unusually emotionally evocative moment for OJ, who's just so not responsive. And like that little sibling moment of celebration, I thought was just one of the stranger, like real strong, happy, uh, like emotionally powerful moments in the film. I loved it because it felt like something they'd, they'd done since they were seven or something, you know? Yes, <laughs> it was, exactly. It was, it's very sweet. And, and the, the expression film. on his face is is almost like, yeah, we're doing the thing we do. It, it, it Like, he doesn't come across as celebratory. He doesn't crack a grin. It's just like... You know they're they're doing the rubric, they're doing the the familiar gesture, but in that sibling kind of way, it's it just we know exactly what we do now. If this is what we do, and I, I love it I, as a tiny little character detail. I love it. I also have to slip in here that that uh, I was uh, absolutely delighted uh, every time uh, the title is uttered in, the, in this movie. <laughs> uh, and, and the theater and Leonardo that... pointing at the screen. <laughs> yeah oh my yeah. god i love it nope um before before we sort of leave this uh tasha you know invoking pixar it didn't happen uh made me want to talk about uh the the element of gordy that really worked for me which was the fact that this massacre happened in front of cameras and the only reference point we get for what actually happened it, it like or the people in this world have for what happened is an snl sketch starring chris Catan, which is what jupe points to when he's asked for like well what what really happened he's, he was like he saw the snl sketch like it's base it was basically that so sort of the idea that like even something that you know there is filmic evidence for becomes skewed and turned into entertainment is like really kind of at the heart of what so much of this movie is on about, uh, or one of the many things I guess I guess it's on about, and that's actually like one of the sort of the mysteries of Gordy that I appreciate wasn't answered is like where's all the evidence of this of this massacre you know uh, well obviously uh, it's in his his little back room, but as far as like it's it's been forgotten. You know, like this this horrible, devastating event has been mostly forgotten by society at large. Like M like has to kind of like pull it from the recesses of her memory and our reference point for it, our visual reference point that we're given is an SNL sketch, you know? And, and a mad magazine is, cover. And a mad magazine cover, right. So, you know, in terms of like even their desire to capture this on film. And, and I had this thought, like, when, you know, the payoff at the end with the well photos. It's like, okay, and? And it's kind of the same thing with the uh, the declassified footage for, for the, that I mentioned earlier, you know? Like, that could ostensibly be like, this is photographic proof of UFOs or UAVs. And most of us have just kind of been like, yeah, okay, uh, it's probably something else you know and that feels like you know these well photos that she gets would maybe invite the same reaction like people can be presented with evidence of the incredible and the unexplained and 
And it, that's what the uh, filmmaker's kind of last words are. He's like, we don't deserve the impossible, you know, um, which is kind of a, as I think one of the characters says, like a, he said some cryptic shit and ran away, <laughs> you know, like I, it's a, it's a cryptic decline. But I think he says they don't deserve the impossible, okay. which is a very small change, but I think a very important character motivation, because my read on that sequence is that like he offers himself up to the alien in exchange for getting the impossible shot mm-hmm. under circumstances where it, it almost certainly won't ever see the, the light of day. Like other people won't get it. Mm-hmm. He wanted it for himself as an artist and they don't deserve the impossible is very different from him, including himself in that. But that, it's, it's, it's wrapped like so much in this film. It's kind of like wrapped up in one of these like bigger overarching ideas of, you know, what we see and what we believe and what we talk ourselves into and what we're entertained by. And it's all just kind of this overlapping mess of both an idea and maybe a movie. I, <laughs> but I we don't, don't need to dwell I, on that more. <laughs> I really like the the closing the closing shot of War of the Worlds is the what? The the people on the mountainside singing Amen to their savior mm-hmm. who put bacteria on Earth. And it feels weird and and sentimental and, you know, evangelistic in a way that most of the rest of the film doesn't. But I think that final shot of Nope is is fairly genius because there's so much packed into it. There's so many ways it can be read. Like, it maybe is a bit of a problem that the perfect shot of the alien looks like a, a digital effect because, of course, the alien itself is a digital effect. But the fact that you don't know how the world is going to take it. You don't know what effect it's going to have. All you know is she spent the movie with her goal being uh, achieve this thing. And in the end, she achieved it. And you can read that a number of ways. You can read it as, and she doesn't even look. She doesn't even care in the end because she sees her brother and that's what's important. Or you can just take it as this woman spent this whole movie striving for something and in the end, she did actually get it. And maybe it was worth all the trauma and trial. Like, I think the ambiguity of ending on that moment is just really beautiful because it it lets you map a whole bunch of different ideas on it based on all of the different themes we've seen. And, you know, right down to the like, don't look directly at it. Don't look it in the eyes, because if you do, it'll be bad. Maybe the world is not ready to like look at these images. You, you can you can read it in a really wide variety of ways. And I think that's pretty cool. And the other image at the end is brings it full circle with the Edward Muybridge uh, film or, or series of, of, you know, what, what's, what, what was sort of moving you know, pictures, moving pictures, <laughs> right. When we have finally, we have a, a black cowboy that we know uh, looking heroic on a horse. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not neat, but I, it does loop all the way back around and make some, some, some cool connections. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a tidy movie, but, but I, I do, I, I do love those moments. Speaking of uh, connections, tidy or otherwise, I uh, do want to just use your uh, mentioning of that shot to uh, bring up a quick other little connection, uh, which we have already discussed in a fair amount of detail in terms of of Nope, uh, which is Hollywood whitewashing, which, uh, as we've said, is sort of baked into sort of these characters' backstories and their motivations and the film's interests, and it's, it's very present. It is obviously not something that War of the Worlds is concerned with at all on a surface or narrative level, but 
from what I can tell, there was not a single black person <laughs> in that movie. Maybe not even a, a brown person. No, it, no, no. It, there's the uh, there's the Mexican guy who's mm-hmm. like right. part I could, of the... I, I, I couldn't tell if he was actually Mexican or just putting on an accent, it, it as always, is often the case I, I uh, think, in, during this era. Yeah, well, the character was. Uh, and sure. it always kind of warms my heart a little bit when you see a film from that era and it's just like white people and not white people uh, being treated as, as equals because he's just another guy there. But then you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only person of color in the entire film. And I'm pretty sure that the population in Los Angeles was uh, a little more diverse uh, than that. Yeah. In the 1950s. Yeah, I do think we get like now. some some Spanish language praying maybe during, mm. in, in one of the church scenes, you know, so so there's is maybe an acknowledgement of uh Latinx, I, I guess, not that they would have called them that uh, at, at the time, population, but there is is no reflection of, uh, of the black population. We would definitely be hearing a lot about there being uh, no black people at all in War of the Worlds exactly. if, uh, if it uh, was made now. I believe that character's name is Salvatore, uh, played by uh, Jacob Crucian, uh, born in uh, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, a, a man of <laughs> a Russian Jewish descent, but still... <laughs> All right. All right. So I, I was still, right. <laughs> I still found it heartening that you know he he was included and that he's like clearly part of this you know very majority white like midwestern looking uh square dance doing picnic planning small town you know <laughs> in in the era that this was set like the fact that they he's there and they clearly accept him as a friend the fact that he you know joins uh the the two other people deputized to to look after the the alien rock and not hit it with shovels anymore like just his his unremarked upon presence is something that the film could use more of, but that I found kind of warming. Contrast that with Angel, which I I don't know what Angel is doing in this film. I don't really know what he adds to it apart from uh, a lot of kind of just like wordy commentary here and there. Uh, oh, so I, I think that's a fun performance, though. I did too, and yeah, I mean, you need a tech guy, you know, to to go back. I forget who compared it to the the end of Jaws, where you know you have like the motley crew each with their own specialty. Like he's he's the tech guy, you know. You need someone to demonstrate that you know how digital cameras are not going to get you there. You need film, <laughs> film. <laughs> well, that's Beautiful the director film. guy. Yeah, <laughs> boy, he's the artist. Jordan Peele really has uh, made a movie that you can just kind of like map your own obsessions and uh, intentions onto, <laughs> oh, really? <again>, right? <laughs> Well, I think we need to, to like draw some borders around the map of our own obsessions when it comes to this <laughs> film and, and draw the segment to a close. Again, we fully expect to get uh, feedback about this. So I don't think we're done with done with Nope. I think we're going to do a bonus episode, just just more Nope. Talk, another hour and a half of Nope, <laughs> right? Right? Okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, the War of the Worlds is currently streaming on Prime Video and Paramount Plus and it's available for rent on other services. It's also ver- available via, via very good Criterion Collection Blu-ray and DVD, which has lots of cool stuff stuff on it and looks great nope it's currently in theaters it looks great there too man yeah see this on the big screen if you can uh, we'll be right back after a break Finally, we're back with your next picture show where one of our hosts makes a recommendation for your viewing pleasure. Uh, Tasha, I think you have an alien invasion sort of movie to talk about. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Although I should say we actually debated a bunch of different ways to handle this segment up to and including everybody brings their own favorite alien invasion movie. We talked about like maybe boosting the 2005 Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, which I think we all think is flawed, but all kind of like like to bigger or lesser degrees and, and like aspects of certainly it's got some, uh, I think, like really visually impressive set pieces. But in the end, we kind of ended up with a movie that several of us can talk about. I was deputized to do it because I haven't done a Your Next Picture show yet under the new regimen. And it's a movie that really kind of splits the difference between these two films. And that is a movie that we've already talked about a little bit in Your Next Picture show, I think. 2019's Andrew Patterson movie the vast of night which uh, i believe is amazon prime picked it up and it's streaming there it's an alien invasion movie set in a small community in the 1950s which makes it feel a bit like war of the worlds it's it's definitely tapping into that kind of like that era of science fiction and it's a like a small budget indie movie that doesn't rely a whole lot on like big special effects. It's about people and it's about process and it's about storytelling as bit by bit uh, two protagonists start piecing together some of the mysterious stuff that's happening in their town that also affects electronics because that is apparently just something you got to have your aliens do. The Vast of Night, I think those of us have seen it it just kind of sticks with us because of the the tone like the tone of of wonder and like late night airlessness um the kind of like big sky big land uh setting that we get not a whole lot of visuals of the way we do in nope but we still got get just kind of the feel of it as these characters navigate the small town in this you know big land i think it's set in uh, it's set in new mexico so it shares some of the aspects of nope's kind of darker and more horror themed moments in that it's unnerving without necessarily being jump scarish it's like a, a a coolly intellectual, but also just very tautly assembled story about, you know, two young people getting to know each other a little better in a small town where aliens are apparently haunting the area. So you can see where we've got kind of elements of, of both of these movies here. But uh, I know some of you have seen Vast of Night. Has everybody seen Vast of Night? I have I've seen not. it. I've seen yeah, it. So, so. Vast of Night. Well, the one the thing that sticks out to me too is that is just what a you know display of filmmaking it is. I mean, this is a film that was made for very little money, uh, but it ha- it has at least one kind of astonishing how did he pull it off type of shot in it. It's pretty. It's it's showy in that in that respect. Um, it, it, it he I think he's trying to do as much as possible cinematically under the constraints that the film is under budget wise and uh, it's just a really exciting debut it makes you think like this is uh, somebody who's sort of announcing himself to the world in a in a in a very conspicuous way really and um you know it really pulls it off it's kind of just you know sort of a th- one of those kind of thrilling debuts that you sort of latch onto and it, it makes me kind of upset in a way that it landed at amazon that it's just sitting there as these movies do now like i kind of wish it had more 
life uh, outside of just kind of being on that service and that's just kind of where it's going to be but uh it's certainly worth worth making an effort to check out that's what we're here for though, to boost it though yeah i i um <laughs> i'm a huge fan of, the, of this film and I, and I did play during the pandemic i did briefly play some drive-ins which is kind of appropriate because it's definitely oh that'd be so cool yeah yeah for sure. it is yeah. definitely you know drawing from from drive-ins uh drive-in fair oh, yeah. and, and the twilight zone very explicitly at, at times too um and from the from the wells war of the worlds <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's and I think that the, the the radio station they work at is called WOTW, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a little a little homage. All I know about Andrew Patterson, the director, since then, um, it, it, did we mention he's like located in Oklahoma, um, and and uh, and just really kind of just did this uh, bootstrapped it himself. But on a, on his Wikipedia entry, it says he has since made an as yet untitled film, a revenge thriller set in the honeybee industry <laughs> no yes. not the bees not the bees oh no uh, i hate yeah. revenge thrillers but i love bees what am i gonna do <laughs> uh. i will say that well i think the drive-in is just kind of a conceptually ideal place maybe for this uh, story at the same time scott pointed out the the like one incredible how did he do it shot uh, which just goes with like, really sharp cinematography and some really unusual and, and telling use of blackness. But the sound design of this film is also remarkable. And I say that as somebody who is not an auditorially focused person most of the time. Like this movie, without being showy, made me really notice the the depth and thoughtfulness of the sound design. And I feel like that might be lost at the drive-in. Like this is not a movie best suited for your home theater compared to like a big screen and a, a really well put together professional theater but one of the things that would really shine is if you watch it at home turn off all the lights and uh, make sure that there aren't any like audio distractions and if you've got a good sound system uh, I think this movie is just really going to blow you away in terms of how sophisticated the sound work is And that's it for this edition of The Next Picture Show, but we'll be back soon. Genevieve, want to fill us in on what's coming up? What's coming up is something new for us, something we haven't done in the nearly seven years since we started this podcast. A hiatus, but just a short one. Since August is so far living up to its reputation as a dead zone for exciting new releases, we're taking the rest of this month off. If you're a Patreon supporter, keep an eye out over there as we're still aiming to post some bonus content this month. But otherwise, we'll be back in your feeds in September with a new pairing to kick off our next 339 episode season of The Next Picture Show. For now, we welcome your feedback on the War of the Worlds, Nope, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us at Patreon, where you'll find feedback letters and discussion. Before we close out this week's episode, where can you find everyone these days? Genevieve? I am the TV editor at Vulture.com, and you can find me on Twitter, sort of, at Genevieve Kosky. <laughs> Tasha? Yeah, I've also been taking a break from Twitter. Um, I am not enjoying Twitter all that much lately. You can find me at Tasha Robinson, but you're not going to find me saying a whole lot right now. You can find me saying a lot over at Polygon.com, where I'm the film and streaming editor. And uh, I'm definitely going to be writing about some some aspects of Nope that we didn't dig into uh, real deep here today. Because, man, that is just a movie that's just going to keep unfolding. Uh, Scott Tobias, how about you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Scott underscore Tobias, where I uh, <laughs> I'm still masochistically engaged. <laughs> Wait, wait, Scott, do you still use Peach? Are you are you are you still you checking in on Peach? Peach? You are you, you are a real dead ender when it hard, comes to I social media. To like, I, th- <laughs> I think there's maybe a little bit more activity still on Twitter. Oh than peach <laughs> uh, uh but though keith though keith made a reappearance on peach i appreciated that um you can find me uh and you can find my work in such publications as uh the new york times the the ringer vulture uh, uh the guardian and of course uh, much of my uh work uh, goes into uh the newsletter that uh keith and i do together it's called the reveal you can find that at the reveal dot substack dot com keith uh, what I like about the reveal is it includes some thoughts on the film Nope, which we, uh, which we, uh, I really just kind of wish we could kind of unpack a little bit at some in some way. Uh, anyway, yeah, you can find me at uh, at thereveal.substack.com. I do a lot of writing there. I also write for such publications as GQ, Vulture, TV Guide, and The Ringer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm I'm there sometimes just to promote myself. It's at kfip three thousand. <laughs> Stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at, at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Bake Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting Family of Podcasts. Please tune in next time. He was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me.